One of the most controversial things that Jesus ever taught is found in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 53 to 58. I'd like to read those verses for you now. John writes, Jesus said to them, that's the crowds who were following him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. No, it's not hard to see why those words were so controversial. Indeed, we're told just a verse or two later that from that time, many of his disciples, many of those who were following him, uh, stopped and walked with him no more. Because what Jesus says in these verses uh, sounds very unappealing. (laughs) to say the least. Uh, He speaks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that is offensive to us living today, and it would have been even more so to those in the Jewish society of Jesus' day, a society which forbade the drinking of blood at all. People found Jesus' words controversial then, and people still find them controversial today. And uh, much of the argument today uh, centers not so much on these verses Jesus spoke, uh, but on the words he spoke later that we read just a few moments ago, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, and he said not dissimilar words in verse 22. We saw how He and his disciples celebrated the Passover and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Likewise, he took the cup and in verse 24 it says, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Jesus taught that the bread... And the wine that we eat and we drink in the Lord's table is his bread, is his body, and his blood. And this has been the cause of endless arguments in church history. Um, I'm sure we're all aware that Roman Catholics, for example, will teach based on Jesus' words that the bread and the wine at the Lord's table 
becomes the actual body and blood of Christ. And they'll point to this passage and the passage we read from John 6 to say that is so. Um, Protestants, for want of a better term, would argue, no, uh, the bread and the wine are simply symbols of the body and blood of Christ. They are pictures of something deeper. And what I'd like to do uh, this evening is just spend a little bit of time to try and understand better what Jesus meant by these controversial and uh, difficult words and trustfully understand the uh, wonderful teaching that lies behind what Jesus said. And the first thing to say, to make it very clear, is that these words that Jesus says aren't meant to be taken strictly literally. Uh, That is not what Jesus was saying. The bread was not literally his body and the wine is not literally his blood. Interestingly, even Catholics will acknowledge that when they eat the bread at the Eucharist, at the um, uh, celebration of the Lord's table, uh, the bread still tastes like bread. It still looks like bread. It still feels like bread. And the wine still has the same flavour as wine. Nobody disputes that. So at least in some sense, even Catholics would acknowledge, surely, that there is a symbolic element there. Because what they're eating is, tastes like bread and looks like bread and feels like bread. It's not actually flesh and the cup is not actually wine. No, instead what Jesus is teaching us is something deeper than that. These symbols teach us something about what it means to trust in Christ and to believe on him. And even as Protestants, again I'm not super keen on that term, all labels get abused in the end. But even we here this evening need to be careful. And I said this this morning as we celebrated the Lord's table after the morning service. Uh, We need to be careful not to use language like it's just a picture. Uh, The bread is just a picture of Christ's body and the wine is just a picture of Christ's blood because that implies that it's less than what it really is. Instead, we should understand that symbols are important. They're not just symbols. Symbols have a lot of importance to them. Let me give you an illustration to perhaps make it um, easy to understand. Imagine uh, your spouse comes home one day. and If you're not married, imagine your spouse. And imagine that in a fury they tear off their wedding ring and they walk out the door and they throw it in the wheelie bin. 
Now, no one in their right mind is going to say, oh, don't worry, it's just a symbol. (laughs) Yes, the wedding ring is a symbol. Taking off your wedding ring doesn't make you unmarried. But what they've done to that symbol is meaningful. And a sound-minded person would realize that something needs to be done because the marriage is under threat because of what has been done to that symbol. It reveals something deeper. And it's the same with the Lord's table. Uh, How we eat that bread and drink that cup matters. Not because it's actually Christ's body and actually Christ's blood, but because that is what they picture that's why as we said this morning that's why the paul uh, paul said in first corinthians we should examine ourselves ourselves as we take of the lord's table because we need to discern the lord's body we need to recognize that what the bread and the wine picture is something weighty and powerful and meaningful And what I'd like to do for the rest of our time this evening is look and see what they picture. Uh, Looking at Christ's words in verses 22 to 25 particularly, and hopefully uh, help us to understand better what Jesus meant by eating his body and drinking his blood and the huge significance of his words. Let's start by looking at the bread, by looking at Christ's body. Uh, We can read of that in verse 22. Uh, Verse 22, uh, Mark writes, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now remember, this happened in the middle of the Passover celebration. Uh, The Passover meal was celebrated by the Jews every year and still is today to remember their escape from Egypt, how God commanded the children of Israel many, many years before to sacrifice a lamb, to kill a lamb, and they were to put the blood on the doorpost and lintel. And when the angel of death that night saw the blood, it would pass over them. And that is why they call it the Passover. And year after year, they remembered this. And they would eat, after putting the blood on the doorpost and lintel, they would eat the Passover lamb. And so for generations after this, the Israelites, the Jews, would celebrate the Passover meal. But now in the middle of that meal, Jesus takes bread and he blesses it and breaks it and says, take, eat. This is my body. So just like the Israelites ate the Passover lamb, Jesus is telling them to take this bread and eat it, for it is his body. In other words, he's identifying himself with the Passover lamb. Just like that Passover lamb was the means of their salvation back then, Jesus is saying... I am the means of your salvation now. 
You're not eating of a lamb. You need to eat, as it were, of me. But you might say, what does that mean? What does that mean to eat Christ? That's very odd language. It's very puzzling and baffling, as we've already seen. Well, fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. And if we turn back to that passage we read from John chapter 6, if we read the context, we're told exactly what it means to eat of Christ. A little bit earlier, in verse 35, Jesus said these words. This is John 6, verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says what matters is coming to him, believing on him, trusting on him. When we're hungry, what do we do? We eat something. We rely on food to keep us alive. If you're hungry, you don't look somewhere else to get satisfaction. You look for food. Perhaps not always the healthiest of food, but we look for food to nourish us because we know there's not life to be found in anything else. There's no good eating cardboard. It's no good eating mere leaves if they're not nutritious. What we need is food. We rely on food to keep us alive physically. And what Jesus is saying in these verses is that in the same way we rely on food to keep us alive in an earthly sense, for a temporary sense now, we need to rely on him to keep us alive for eternity in a spiritual sense. This is a mistake that we can often make. Sometimes we talk like this and we say that Jesus is like bread. But that's not really the right way around. (laughs) Really what we should say is bread is like Jesus because Jesus came first. Uh, The reason God made us as human beings who need food, and in fact the reason he made any creature to need food, is as a picture of Christ. God is saying to us, this is what it's like to rely on me. Just like you have to eat food daily, just like you need to make your sandwiches, just like you need to uh, daily feed in order to stay alive, that's a picture of what our relationship with God must be like. He's saying, you can't live without me. And God has given us food as a picture of that. The tragedy is that we take the picture and we forget the reality which lies behind it. We realize our need of food, and yet we completely forget, or many people do, their need of God. Uh, It'd be a bit like saying, uh, looking at a coin, and saying that, oh, that's interesting, the king looks like this picture on the coin. I don't think they've come out yet, but they are coming out soon, the king's portrait on the coin. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? You don't say the king looks like the coin. You say the coin looks like the king. He's the reality. The coin is just the picture. It's the same with food, same with bread. 
That's the picture. Christ is the reality. That's why he could say in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body. Bread is the picture. Jesus is the reality. Eating is the symbol. Faith is the reality. And let me ask you uh, this evening, are you feeding on Christ? Do you rely on him? Is your only hope of salvation Christ? That's what it means to feed on him. You know, it's possible to take the Lord's table, to eat that bread and drink that wine, and yet not actually be feeding on Christ at all, because your heart can be somewhere else. Are you relying on Christ? Is he your food? Is he your drink? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. So that's Christ's body. But let's keep reading, because next Christ talks about his blood. Verse 23, uh, Mark writes, Then Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Now, blood was very important in the Old Covenant described in the Old Testament. Uh, If you read the Old Testament, you'll see that very clearly, and you read how Moses uh, instructed the people to offer sacrifices, and they were to be careful with what they did with the blood, and they would sprinkle the blood on all the elements uh, in the tabernacle, the altar, the um, basin, the uh, different utensils to be used were all to be sprinkled with blood, the blood of the sacrifice. And if it wasn't sprinkled, it was not to be used because the blood cleansed those things. You might think that's a bit odd because blood doesn't cleanse things. Surely it makes things Worse, stains things, uh, does the opposite of cleansing. But the picture behind it was when God sees the blood, he knows that a price has been paid. It's a payment for sin. Our sin deserves punishment, and that sprinkled blood shows that the payment has been paid, at least in part with the sacrifices of the bulls and the goats and everything else. So blood was crucial in the Old Covenant, demonstrated by the fact that it was sprinkled uh, on all the elements to be used in worship. But of course, as we've said, there was another way it was crucial, uh, that Passover meal again. Remember how they killed the lamb and they were instructed to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and lintel of their doors. And it was literally... The blood of the lamb, which saved them. I sometimes wonder what it would be like to be one of the firstborn boys in Israel that night. (laughs) To hear what God said. And uh, if it had been me, I would have been checking every hour or so to make sure the blood was on the doorpost, that it hadn't dried off or washed away or something. It was crucial. The blood needed to be there on the door that the angel of death might pass over. 
And Jesus is teaching a much deeper truth here in these verses. He takes the cup and he gives it to his disciples. He says, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. Not the old covenant of Moses, but the new covenant. You might ask, what's the difference? Uh, What's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? Well, the difference is really quite simple. The old covenant dealt with the outward appearance. Uh, It covered sin for a time, but the sacrifices had to be offered again and again and again and again. It never got to the heart of the issue. It merely, as it were, postponed the judgments. The blood of bulls and goats could cover sin, but it could never take it away entirely. But the new covenant is deeper. The new covenant spoken of in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and if we had time we would read them, but perhaps you can look them up afterwards. But the new covenant, God said, would not just cover sin, it would forgive sin completely. It wouldn't just cleanse on the outside, it would cleanse deep within. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. The blood is not just sprinkled on the outside, it's taken deep within. Christ's blood is able to cleanse us from the deepest sin. The blood, and bull and, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and sheep cannot do that. But Christ's blood can. And that's why Jesus says to us, drink my blood. Take it deep within you. It's able to do much more than the sacrifices of Moses. That's the significance of this language. Not that we're literally drinking Christ's blood. That isn't the point. The point is Christ's blood cleanses us completely of our sin. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? When he saw Christ and he pointed to him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Christ is saying, I am that Lamb. Take my blood, drink my blood. It is able to purify of the deepest sin. Now, it's interesting, and some people have stumbled over this. Uh, The Israelites were forbidden from drinking blood. In fact, I would argue that God forbids all people from drinking blood. If you read the Noah, the covenant given to Noah, which applies, as far as I can tell, to all people uh, in Genesis, I forget the chapter. Noah is father of us all. Go back enough greats, you'll find Noah. God gave him a covenant and he said and he forbade the drinking of blood. And some people have stumbled over this because they say, well, how can Jesus use this sort of language when God forbade the drinking of blood so clearly? And really, the reason is quite simple. Uh, We're told why God forbids the drinking of blood. He says, because in the blood is the life of a thing. And we're not to drink the life. But Jesus 
is the exception. Jesus is the only one who we should drink in the life of. Now, what did Paul say in the book of Philippians? He said there is one name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. The reason why God forbade the drinking of blood was because we cannot find life, true life, eternal life, in anywhere else but Jesus. Jesus is the one exception to the rule. The reason it was forbidden then was so that it would be allowed here. That is the significance. We cannot be saved by anything but the blood of Christ. And we must let that truth sink deep into our hearts. That is the significance of the blood of Christ. But let me just close by pointing to the last thing that Christ said in this short section. Now look at verse 25. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, this is the last time I'm going to eat and drink with you in this way. I won't do it again until the new heavens and the new earth when he drinks the wine new in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever felt like this um, when you've been uh, in the Lord's table uh, remembrance service and you sometimes look at it and there's something kind of unsatisfying about it. You have a little hunk of bread and a little cup and you think it seems quite small, quite insignificant and you think, is this really it? And in a a very real way, Jesus is teaching us, no, this isn't it. Uh, We're not going to be remembering the Lord's table forever, for the rest of eternity. It's what we remember now, but there's going to be a day coming when we do away with the Lord's table. Because we will eat and drink with Christ in person for all eternity. Uh, The Lord's table is a remembrance. It looks back on what Christ has done for us. But in a way, it also looks forward. It looks forward to a day when we will sit physically with Christ and see him with our own eyes and eat and drink with him. And we look forward to that day. That's why the Lord's table, in a sense, is unsatisfying. It's wonderful as a remembrance It's wonderful as far as it goes, but it's not the final final thing it will be one day. It's a little bit like a love letter, uh, a love letter someone might get from their sweetheart. And it's wonderful, perhaps a soldier in the battlefield, to receive that love letter. And it's wonderful to read those words from their loved one. But ultimately it's unsatisfying. It's not the same as having them there with you in person. And that's a little bit like what the Lord's table is. It's a wonderful love letter from Christ to us. And we remember what he has done for us. But at the same time, there's a better day coming when we will enjoy 
the total, complete, full presence of Christ for all eternity. Now, I'll just close with a little uh, illustration I heard. There's apparently uh, a small uh, country church I heard of in America, and they have a special tradition they use at the end of their community communion service, Lord's Table service. And it's a tradition adapted from uh, an ancient Jewish uh, custom after the Passover meal. And apparently in uh, certain uh, Jewish circles, uh, after the Passover meal was eaten, uh, the um, Jews would uh, lift their glasses in a toast and they would all say, next year in Jerusalem. And they're looking forward to the day when they would be back in Jerusalem and the kingdom would be restored. And they say, next year we'll celebrate in Jerusalem. Well, what this church did at the end of their communion service, all the members of the church would raise their cups and in, in, in anticipation, they would say, next time with Christ. Next time we drink this cup, it will be with Christ himself. And that's what our hope should be. Every time we take the Lord's table, every time we remember his death, we look forward to a better time, a better time when we see him face to face. That's the significance of Christ's body and his blood remembered in the Lord's table. And with those thoughts in mind, I'd like us to sing again uh, the hymn we sang this morning at the Lord's table and trustfully with more understanding of the deep significance of the words. So we're going to sing now number 411. 411. Be known to us in breaking bread, but do not then depart. Saviour, abide with us and spread thy table in our hearts. So we'll close by singing number 411.